the um, we always try on each year by Azalavani to speak about somebody who either went through the list cordon or somebody who didn't go who didn't make it out and to be McCoyning on to be McCoyning on someone who is a um, our one of the Arazi Levon and the Wiedershaitis too. And from that to, to learning the others. Um, the person that I want to speak about this year is somebody who possibly is the aside of who we are and what we are. It's his 75th yard site from when he was in Skadish and that was a Bukhanavasan Skanavrach. Um is the Sayyid Yeshivas and um, and uh, his dogma in every way possible. Lohan was born in 1875. He learned in Tells for seven years. And his rabbi, his main rabbi there was Rabbi Shimon Shkop. He um, then learned by Rabbi Chaim Briska for two years. I was very close with him. And then different kufas of his life, he would um, come back to it. As a Talmud in yeshivas, he was tremendous masmit, tremendous masmit, extremely masuda, extremely, every minute was precious and organized, and very serious, and everything with Messinus, um, and despite, I mean, it was a Shemza Talmud, but he had tremendous Ava for Pshat. He was, he then became a, he, he became a Ramani Yeshiva um, in 1903. There was a, a town called Amitzlaslav, um, where he became a, a Ramani Yeshiva, he became head of a Yeshiva. The people in town wanted him to make changes and he um, refused to make the changes they wanted. It was about the Tzuri Yeshiva and so on. And once when he was gone, they um, told him not to come back and that Kufa was over. He went, he was married already. In 1899, he married Remea Atlas, Suvalka Rav's daughter, became Suvalka Rav later. And he was married already. And then he went off to Chavetz Chaim to learn in Raven. Chavetz Chaim had a Kuala Kachim. He left his family and he learned by the Chavetz Chaim. It became his, the Chavetz Chaim became his Rebbe in Hanhaga, his Rebbe in everything. So Reb Chaim Briska was for him his light in learning. And that was his Rebbe in learning. And he later would have more shaykhs with him. <laughs> and then um, he, and Chavetz Chaim became to him his Rabbi Mufak. He learned in Raden. He, he was married, but he left his family to learn. Like many people didn't know this, Prussian. And he would learn 18 hours a day. It was a tremendous masmit. And every minute was, was worked out. The only thing that he would take time off was if somebody spoke to Chavetz Chaim and was willing to share the conversation, he would sit and listen to every word. 
he, he held that every single word of the Chavetz Chaim's had a tremendous depth to it, and would that was that became his Rebbe and his guiding light. In um, he then went to Brisk in Yeshiva Ketan over there, and he taught in um, and he taught until World War One. World War One. Brisk was the, the Jews were chased out. Brisk was too close to the to the to the to the border, and he ended up in a shtetl with the Chavetz Chaim together. The um, in the Chavetz Chaim also had to leave, and they were somewhere in Russia for the duration of war. On the way back, the Chavetz they crossed the border into Poland into Baranowitz and the Chavetz Chaim told him to stay there. There was a yeshiva there, and it was as head of this yeshiva that Rabbi Chana left his mark on Kal Yisrael. He was about 1919-1920, he became the head of Aranovich, the yeshiva, and until 1940, he was the, the yeshiva was disbanded. In those 20 years, Rebbe Hanan, in a sense, created all of my yeshivas. The reason was that never the age of Talmidim that he dealt with, the age of Talmidim was sort of teenage years, parallel, similar to what we'd call high school, until, let's say, 20. It was geared for six years. So from age 14, 15 till 20, 21, they would learn by him. And then he would send them off to other yeshivas, to Kletsk, to, 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 to Grodna, to Kamenitz, wherever. That was, um, and then eventually we usually find a way to the Mir. That was the Mahal. No one did, did the, the, the doors before, what you are and what you're supposed to be was kind of obvious. Between the wars and before the war, before World War I, that had become disintegrated. There was no surah ventura, there was no understanding of what it is in Hanhaga, in, in Hanhagois, in Hashkafas. It, it was kids who were very brilliant and loved uh, sort of uh, in being the fountain, ended up in yeshivas, and sometimes um, it was too late. Sometimes they had their own sense of things, and a lot of issues came hard because of it. There wasn't any tsura. It was too late by the time people showed up in yeshivas. They had been in basically no place. They had been learning all sorts of odd places. The yeshiva itself, Baranovitz, was a place that was designed to create a venture in every way possible. Rabbi Hanan's insistence on Hasmada, he was a parent of Hasmada. Rabbi Hanan was a stickler for Pshat. And he insisted on finishing a masechta. He had two shirim that he said, a fifth shir and a sixth shir. The fifth year and a sixth year, he said. Fifth shir still was a little bit more noted to pshat, and the sixth year was a little bit more uh, lomnas, chaburas, and things like that. And different people from different places wanted to come to the sixth shir. And he said, even if Marbar Rashi comes, the, the gateway to the sixth year is to the fifth shir. There was no, there was no fighting with him on it. Rebel Hunan's what davening looks like was he was compared to Tfus. 
the 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 the, the togetherness and davening, the the answering out loud, the the the, the, the surah of of the yeshiva davening, that was by him Kodesh Kadashim. Every single element of of his benteris hanhagis, his dibur, his interactions, everything about it was 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 stamped in Baranovitz. It had a lot more to do. They had the Rabbisloyakov was instrumental in it, but it had a lot more to do with Rebbechanan's person. Rebbechanan's person was an incredible personality. He was someone whose mind was kol kuloi in charge of his person. Everything was thought out and nothing was left to whim what he feels like. He was, my father's kind of, my father didn't learn in Baranovich, my father remembers him in this, by the war years in Kovna when he was. He walked calmly, focused in learning, he was always thinking learning, calm, collected, everything about it was kuloi, seichel, being shaylet on the person. He worked tremendously hard on saying a shir, exactly with the words that he wanted. And most of the time, when Brock would come over and ask him a question, he would think a minute, and then he would repeat the shir word for word. And sometimes it could happen two or three times. He, he, um, he, he had felt that the person missed something because there weren't better ways to explain what he said. It was extremely, he, he has it, he had a tremendous memory, tremendous, fabulous memory. He was known, and yet he has it incessantly. And the Dmus of Bochanan Chazering was, was a constant Dmus. More than anything else, he has it over and over again. Um, his messiness in thinking something through, in, in you know, weighing something, was incredible. He had a seriousness. Life is famous. He didn't allow himself to smile because also to to malich um, Someone told me, Rabbi Yochan Gerlach was his roommate in Raden, in the Kail. And Rabbi Yochan was a speaker, and he spoke at a, some sort of sheva brachas, and he said a veritable siddish a veritable to play on words in shemil lachem or whatever. And um, he said Rabbi Yochanan didn't talk to him for two weeks. He said, it's not a joke. What, 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 what's playing? What, what, what's this playing with Psukim? There, you know, there was nothing. Everything was the way it had to be. He would walk in the street, whether it was raining or snowing or, or wind or whatever. He walked as calmly as ever. And sometimes Al-Khanan, he said, it's going. What's, it's raining. Sometimes he said, so it's raining, so it's snowing. I mean, if you have to go, you have to go. There was nothing by him that ever, ever um, betrayed. If, if it should be done, then it's done. And if it shouldn't be done, it's not done. There's an incredible story of showing the, how each, if each piece, each side, in its right time, in the right place, and so on. There was a Bachan Yeshiva, a very bright boy, big Balkishrin, who was sort of going off the derech. And Shittas and Deus were not. They, they wanted to bring it to Rabbi attention, but they needed to do it in a way because Rabbi these things were very serious. And um, so they sent the Bacha, who was a big Pikeach, Shalom Lawrence, to speak to Rabbi 
So he comes to Bukhan and he says he has something that's weighing on him. What's, what's the matter? He said he has a Chava who's, who's a brilliant guy, tremendous, body Talmud Chacham, but he's having trouble in Amunah, Shittas, and Deus, and so on. Rabbi Hanan was very, very warm, and he was like, he's, he said, you have to do what you can for him. And Rabbi Hanan was very touched. The person knew, the person was a Chacham, he knew how to present it. And then, when he had Rabbi Hanan at a point that he thought, um, yeah, he's told Rabbi Hanan, he happens to be in Yeshiva. And Rabbi said, so we have to ask him to leave immediately. And he said, but, but the Rebbe just said, he said, but there's a mishkal. He says, there's, what about the Christ the other Bachar? On a personal level, do whatever you can for him. But, but it, it's, it's, it's mishkal. It's not, it, it, Rachmanis is not what dictates it. What's the right thing to do dictates Rachmanis. The right thing as a yachid is to be rachim and to do whatever you can for him. And the right thing as a tzibur is, is to be manan from the tzibur. He, he, the, the, and everything about it, there was, there was a, a Bachar once acted, did something wild, whatever. There was, no, there was very little tolerance. Things that Rabbi Hanan saw were not minashura. The, the, the yashras <coughs> by him was extremely, extremely chashiv. And for 20 years, he built that door of Bnei Torah, who were ready to come into yeshiva and be makabal Torah from, from, from uh, the bigger babe. They had a tzur of Ben Torah. They, they, they had a solid basis in learning. And almost every single person that, every single Rebbe that I remember having had learned Rebbe Hanan. This was, he was the high school, so to speak, and the training ground. Then each one went on, Kefi, Kefi, Erika, wherever he went to. His calm, he was, the stories, um, the, he was uh, um, learning, sitting and learning in Colorado, and got a telegram that his wife gave birth in, back in wherever they were living. So he made a bracha, and then he finished learning, didn't, didn't say a word more. And then in the evening, he asked the Chavetz Chaim, should go back or not? Chavetz Chaim held not, and he stayed. He got a telegram once while he was learning that his father passed away. He walked in the other room, he gave it to his wife, told her a few words what she should do, and returned to the Sugya. At night, his Chavrusa saw him sitting and sobbing, but his self-control to do what he wanted, when he wanted. Kefi was right, was incredible. He had a chavrusa that came, a chasha person came three minutes late. Rabbi was saying, but the end, Rabbi Khan asked him, what time is it? The person pulled out a clock, he pulled out his watch, and I was like, he had the watch, and looked at it and sold him. So Rabbi said, so you do have a watch, and it's right, so why'd you come late? So he said, you know, he was in the bathroom, and whatever. So Rabbi said, you know, I walk by, every time I go to Yeshiva, I walk by soldiers standing, and there was some sort of something or other guarding. And he said, they're also human beings, but somehow a person can learn to control himself. And if they can do it, we can do it. His, his ability to have that absolute self-control was a function of his das. He, 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 he was kolkulei das. Rebbe Kreiser's father, Rebbe told me once, he learned by Rebbe Hanan, spoke about Rebbe Hanan with a tremendous, unlimited hairatza. They all did. There wasn't a person. Rebbe Hanan was, was a demus, me'ala me'eva. He said, Rebbe Hanan had to go away collecting for a few months. He said, 
he came to yeshiva in the morning like it was a regular day and he said the shir like it was a regular day and he said the shir from 9 to 10 and at 10 o'clock he calls the Gemara and says the Olam will excuse me I now have to go for a few months of yeshiva um, and, and he left to go off to England or to America wherever he went to um, he said his, his ability to be calm and not be moved, upset, shaken, distraught, and distracted by anything was incredible. The yeshiva was always very poor. He raised, he raised, uh, he raised all the money, and he was sometimes better at it and sometimes less, but he took the full achrayas. He once said a kind of bitter sarcasm. He said, the yeshiva has three machers. Machers means people make, do. He said, Rabbi Solyank, the Mashkiach, Macht Yerei Shemayim. He makes Yerei Shemayim. Rabbi David Rappaport, that son of David, was a big guy and was around there and makes Svarim. And Rabbi Hanan makes Chayvis. He was the one who kept Yeshiva going. Europe was incredibly poor at the time, so local support was non existent. And he made effort. He wouldn't turn away Bachrim for the lack of money. He felt it was a fascist. And it became increasingly harder. The yeshiva went on for 20 years, and this became, this was the cradle for every single Rosh Hashiva that we have, that we had, um, went through there. He um, did, at, in 1939, 38 actually, um, the matzah of the yeshiva was very, very difficult. And he decided he has to go to uh, America to collect. People told him it's the only place he had done England, he had been in, in, in Belgium. And Bolesk Breira, with a lot of Agnes Nefesh, he decided it meant leaving for a year plus. He, Bochum came to him crying. He said, you know, we walked across Europe to come to Yeshiva. We, we promised we'll eat nothing and just stay. And Rebbe said he made the cheshmer and he, he said, he, as much as a squeeze the bathroom, he said he has the ramen that he's, that he's giving them and what they get is minimal. And he said, nobody's willing to lend them anything anymore. They're not willing to give them any more meat on credit, not more bread on credit, and so on. And uh, he went off to America. He stayed in America for a year and a half. From 1938, somewhere in Cheshvan, I think, possibly, and, and uh, returned after Pesach in 39, right before Pesach in 39. That year and a half in America, he worked very hard raising money, and he succeeded. He succeeded in raising a substantial amount of money, and succeeded in, and he sent back money to build a building and to buy land for Yeshivatana, for, for a younger Bachrim, that'll never build. That never got built, that was the end. In that year and a half in America, he had, he suffered a share of busyness and so on, but he created a cadre of Balabatim Torah, who for the first time in their lives saw a person, what it means to be an Alam Gadol. It was the first person that they had seen who was Meshich Mulamayla, a European Gadol. He's the group that he was Makarev and it formed around him, later became the lay leaders of Aguda, 
of yeshivas. They, they, whether it was Camp Aguda, whether it was Sherer, whether it was all of these people, Tress, all of these people, he was the person that they reached out to and he reached out to them. He was the person they saw him with the mus of what a Talmud Chacham is, of, 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 of what a person was kol kuloi doing what's right. And he created in that year and a half in America that cadre of um, of mekablin. Uh, we spoke about the kisei and the oil. The kisei created in Europe, the mashpiim, the mekablin. Here were people who would be willing, when the time comes, to send their children to to a yeshiva. He 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 was. He, he drew many people to him. He also stood strong on things and ex- in a certain way expressed what would become a, a certain understanding, a certain principle and axiom of Yeshiva Shkafa. At that time, America was down, spiraling downhill. There was very little going on, I mean, positive. Everything was sort of spiraling out. There were no really Yeshivas to speak of. And, Everything was down. And one of the things that was popular were um, making mixed dancing evenings under the, under the banner of the shame Tzedakah, they'll get the money to Tzedakah, for shuls, for yeshivas, whatever it is. And Rebbe Hanan worked very hard in Baltimore. They signed on older Abanim against it. There was somebody in Philadelphia who, uh, I, an acquaintance of his, who blurted out that he's having that evening and that's where he's going to raise money, and Rebbe Hanan told him, no way. And the person asked Rebbe Hanan, listen, these people do anything anyway, and this way at least we keep him the shul, and we keep him connected to Yiddishkeit, and so on and so forth. And Rebbe Hanan told him the line that became, um, in a sense, the, 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 the foundation stone for the way which we deal with things. He said, that's not our business and it's not our concern. We need to do what we need to do. How many Jews stay or don't stay, that's a Baruch Hu's business. Our business is to keep the halacha, what's right. And if it's wrong, no matter what the chashbonis are, like we learned, like we spoke about being Mahavas mishpat, Rehana said, if it's us or it's us, yes, there's mokim in halacha, there's a mokim in halacha, so Rebbe Hanan was not against that. Rebbe Hanan were in different places where Rebbe Hanan um, compromised on certain things that he felt it's 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 uh, it's possible and in the right setting it's appropriate. But when things that are awesome, no chesed, he said it's not your business. You're not a salesman. You're not out to sell a kadosh stock at a discount. Your job is to do what you're supposed to do, and it echoes the words of. Yeshaya Novi, by the Mifkidis Mifkidis, Bahari Kafshakon Alomali. When it says by Yeshaya Novi, by Cheskyo, by, by that he was nigs on him to die, and Yeshaya came and he asked him why he was a nigs to die, and he said, because we weren't Isaac and Pirivia. So he said, I knew because I have children who would become Menasha and we Machachayasro. And Yeshaya told him, by the Mifkidis Mifkidis, Bahari Kafshakon Alomali. Your chiyuv is to do what's right, what you are told to do. Cheshbonis belong to Kaddish Baruch Hu. only makes sense within the framework of what should we do that we're allowed to do, there's a cheshbon. And that was Rebbe Hanan was 
he, he brought that into America, that there are red lines, and the Shulchan Aruch is the red line. And what you have to do, you have to do as much as you can, but what you can't do, you can't do, and, and it's not your business. He sat here for a year and a half, and the clouds were beginning to form in Europe. And people knew that, people suspected that, and they told him, they begged him to stay. And they said, um, and they said, uh, it, you know, well, bring your kids. He said, I have 400 children, Avi Yeshiva. They said, we'll do what we can, stay, and this and that. And um, the, his host, that he was very close to, begged him to stay, and he said, um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's mamish also to go back, and it was the only time you ever heard of Bochanan be a little bit abrupt with him. He said, "I wasn't aware that you're a poisik on Isaveheta," and his Rebbe Bochanan's son told over later, Simchavasman, that he felt his father his father also struggled with it, and he needed in his own mind to resolve. Absolutely, Rev Kalbach, who was a Yekish Rav at the time in New York, asked and pleaded to stay. And Rukhana told him, a captain stays with his ship till the last one. It's my job to go back. And he went back. And everyone knew that whatever it is, he's not going back to good Matzah. I don't think anyone ever knew what would happen, but he was going back. He was in England for Pesach. And someone asked him there, what he thinks is the, um, what's this Kufa? Is, is, is the war going to break out? And he has, um, and he said the following. He said he thinks for sure the war is going to break out. He said it will have horrendous consequences, but at the end, England and the Allies will win because Demachabed Tanakh. They 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 have a belief. They believe. And they asked him, "What do you think we can expect from Hitler in a war like this?" Rebbe asked to bring a Tanakh, and he opened up a Doniel, the eighth Perik, and he began reading with feeling. At the end of the Malchus, when there will come time to punish the Poishi Yisrael, a Melech of tremendous audacity, of daring, will rise. He will have incredible strength, not his doing, but in an unearthly strength. And wonderful things he will destroy. And will succeed. And will destroy mighty ones and holy ones. And his trickery will succeed. And he will become, and he will become very arrogant. rabim, and in tranquilly will destroy many. will stand above other and in a in a in a um, without even anyone's hand, no one will kill him. In other words, he will dis- disintegrate of himself. That's what he read, and didn't add more than that. He came back to Baranovich, and a few months later, the um, 
the Germans, they invaded Poland. They ran off to Lithuania. The Shiva ran off. They, um, they were in Vilna for a while. And then they were in a small village near Vilna. And then Lithuania got split between the Russians and the Germans. Poland got split between Russian and Germans, and the, and the Russians, and then Lithuania became independent. The Russians then marched into Lithuania and took over Lithuania, and for a year or so was communist. They came into the yeshiva, it was a small town someplace, and it was, it was a, a Jewish communist, the head of the whatever it was, who was waiting, he had sat seven years in jail for being communist, was waiting for his turn to be able to, um, to take his revenge on everything and everybody. He marched into yeshiva and told Rolchanan that they need to disband the yeshiva immediately. Rolchanan told him, I'm not disbanding the yeshiva. And he told him, to, to, you know, the world has changed, it's a new world, new order, there's no need for yeshivas anymore, and you're best off advising the Brahman that you should leave and get lost. Rolchanan told him, you know, the world hasn't changed. The, the, the world has ups and downs, and nobody is sure where he's going to be tomorrow. And the person told him that might be true, but right now I'm here, and you're leaving. Um, a few days later, they got word that they're about to be arrested by the Enkabedeh, and he ran away, he ran off to Kovna, sort of he and two other Ramim, sort of hidden. They had arranged for them Someone had arranged a flight out to Sweden, which was neutral at the time. And as Rebel Hanan was leaving to the airport with his children, a big, heavy suitcase fell off onto his son's foot, broke his foot very badly, and they had to stay. And that way, his, the fate, his fate was sealed. His last kuf in Kovno, my father remembered him vaguely, and he stayed in about Rom Grzegensky's house. The calm that was on him, he knew, and everybody knew what's happening, that they're descending into a whirlpool of hell. It went from bad to worse, the communists were destructive, and then the Germans came in. And the, um, but he never ever lost himself. His whole Metsias was the same tranquility and everything muddled and so on. He stayed in Rav Rungjensky's house and Rav Rungjensky's son, Rungjensky, big tzaddik, Hashiv, still alive, remembers him there. And he remembers him sitting all the time and learning with the Bacha. His father, Rav Rungjensky, asked him to say a shir on Kiddush Hashem. And Rebbe Khanan hesitated. And he said, I don't have the appropriate Menuchas HaNefesh. I'm not sure that I could say a Shir Lamitoy. I'm hesitant. And he told him that, um, and he told him, Afal Pikein, it's important. He said, give me, give me time. And then and he said a Shir Kloli on Kiddush Hashem. 
And then he was mefar la'alacha, what's the appropriate bracha to make a kiddush Hashem, and told them. And then Rabbi Avram said shmuz. The next day, the, a few days later, the, the Germans marched in, the beginning of the operation Barbarossa, they, they turned against Russia, and he, um, and they, the Germans took over Lithuania. They gave first dibs at killing the Jews to the local Lithuanian Shkotsin. Um, they, they, um, it was part of the Germans, there was like a double win-win. First of all, the Jews would be killed, and it would be some other people would do it. And the Lithuanians made a terrible pogrom, terrible. Went from house to house. These were people that were neighbors, these were people that were part of the towns, these were people that, were, that lived with wealth. There was no enmity. And, and, and it was incredible, the screams, the yelling. And Rabitzel Grzynski is still alive, and maybe he said somehow they passed over his house. Why? He doesn't know. But Rebbe Khan was sitting there, and it was, um, and that was it. A day later, they caught a kid carrying a note. They followed the kid back to the house, and a few Lithuanian thugs came in, and they, um, and they, uh, and they, they had a fight with Taker Bukhanat. They didn't know who it was, but he looked extremely imposing. He had a tremendous status upon him. And they said, come. He asked Vajansky's uh, daughter to please go up, and to go upstairs and to bring him his coat and his watch. She went upstairs. When she came down, he was gone. They marched him with thousands of Jews down the streets of Kovna. A person named Gibraltar, he's still alive also, may I him, he um, was watching it. He said he walked with the same dignity they always had. He said no motions, everything, same tranquil person, lost in his thoughts. He said for a minute it was hard to tell who's leading who, until you saw the Shkatsen with the guns and the clubs, so you knew who was leading. But his dignity and his carriage, and they took about 10,000 Jews to the fort, seventh fort, there were a ring of forts around Kavna. They kept them there for a day without food and drink, and then on Yud Bey, Gimel Thomas, they murdered them all. There were people who escaped, young children were able to get out, there were enough small cracks, and, and there were women who were standing there. Rabbi Khan told the people, that we are a common for Kali Yisrael. And Pigel, Machshavah's Pigel, Ben Machshavah Pasal Korban, our avoidance now is to not to think anything bad to Matzik Sadin. He said, the fire that's consuming us will rebuild Kali Yisrael. And on Yud Beis Thomas, Gimel Thomas, they were slaughtered out. It was a mountain a few meters high, bones. It was there years later. A, a few, uh, 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 after the war, there was Lieutenant Birnbaum, Maya Birnbaum was a, a Jewish lieutenant was in Buchenwald by the liberation, and he met an old emaciated Jew. He looked at him, so he's a different person. The person asked him, did you ever hear of Rebbe Khanim? 
Wasserman. So the mayor oh. says, yeah, I remember when he was in America. So he said, I was with him there. And that, and they asked him, I don't know if it was right there or it was before. I think it was before. I think the program was going on. And they asked Rebbe Hanan, um, explain to us the Kufa. What's going on? What's happening? Where's it taking us to? And Rebbe Hanan said, there was once a person, a city person, who went on vacation to a farm for an extended period of time. And the farmer asked him, did you ever see a farm? He said, no. He said, come. He said, look outside. And he saw a field full of green stuff growing. The farmer said, watch now. He gets into, he takes his plow, and he plows the entire field until there's nothing left but dirt and earth. And the person tells him, you're sugar. You had such a beautiful garden, and you turned it into earth. So he said, watch. Takes out a bag of beautiful seeds, golden seeds, golden grain. And he throws it out and covers it up with the dirt. And, and the city person is just bewildered. A while later, a few weeks later, the field is grown with tall um, uh, grain. And he says, oh, now I see. Now I see what you had. He says, no. He takes it and cuts it down and tramples it. And totally finally he has golden seeds again. And he says, oh, I see. He says, no. And he grinds it to dust and mixes it with water and burns it. And then when he takes out a baked bread and presents it, he says, now you understand. Well, Khan said, we'll never see more than a churban and a binyan and a churban and a binyan. And nobody but the farmer knows where the bread comes and how it came and why green fields had to turn to earth and seeds had to be crushed and, and dough had to be burnt. But only by Yomahu will we understand that question doesn't have an answer. It just has an explanation why you don't understand and what you don't understand. Rabbi Hanan B'moyse B'chayef was the Dmus that the Oilam Yeshivas mold itself. Today, the smart people say he invented Das Torah. That's, he's attributed with the terrible invention of Das Torah. No, he was Das Torah. He was a person whose Das contained nothing of self, nothing of Narishkaiten. Kol Kuloi. It was, what am I supposed to do? In that year that he went back, in that in 1940, when the gates had closed on him and he was dying, he married off two sons. His two sons got married then. And at the chasen, somebody describes the chasen. One of them looked like a shiva. I mean, everybody knew. It's, it's just a, it's, it's it's watching the, the car crash into you. Arab Hanan picked up and danced the whole He said he has a here to get married. And now, a, and and um, and that's what I'm doing. Why it is that the baker now has to grind it down, I don't know. But I have a chiv to have to do. The attitude of the pashtus, the hasmada, 
to the, 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 the understanding that the only thing that can dictate a person's mysim are what's right. And as long as a person is living in a few worlds, what's right is coming in from a few places. Rebbe Hanan taught himself German and Russian. He'd read, and he told people, and I never wasted time doing it. He, he, somebody once came in, and he was eating breakfast, and he was reading a paper. And Rebbe Hanan, and looked at Rebbe Hanan, Rebbe Hanan said, if you, have, you need to have time to read a paper, you need to have time to write in a paper. He wrote articles, he wrote polemics, that <coughs> he felt needed to be published, and you need to have time to finish us. He, if, if a person counts every minute and asks himself, should I be reading, should I not be reading it? Should I be writing, should I not be writing? Should I be learning, should I not be learning? If a person is capable of having that honest cheshbar um, nefesh, then he does what's right. And that was the only thing, the cheshbarness, not our cheshbarness, the, the, the fidelity to being a soldier. And like he said, he told somebody, another person, when he asked him, why are you going back? He said, soldiers go to the front lines. That's what they're there for. His, 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 um, that, that understanding, and when we learn, the only question is what, not why, was what Rabbi Chaim taught him in Havana, and, and a certain pashtus of, of Amuna, despite the fact that Rabbi had the kalim to give it over to the, to, in a different language, and, and the Nechavetz Chaim, but there was a, he drew from that pashtus of Amuna Yedir Sabayre. If we're to finish off with a picture, What's the picture of Bukhanan that stays? The person marching to Kiddush Hashem with the same Kiddush Hashem as another one of Tariq Mitzvahs, that there's a sugi of Kiddush Hashem, saying a sheklali Kiddush Hashem, the person not flinching, the person who needed a coat for and a, and a watch, because even if you have a few hours left to live, every minute is still precious. And they can, they can steal your body, but they can't steal your time. Which is the picture? I'm going to leave with a different picture. This was written by, um, th there was a Yidra, David Zaretsky, you know, I just saw he was a Talmud of Radin many years. I remember him still. He was a very tired Yid. He was the secretary of the Batadinim in, in Yerushalayim. Um, he, had a, he has a son-in-law. He had a son-in-law who, who is a Magachir somewhere. Very, very harsh of Yidra, Dozeritsky. And he wrote a memory. He says it was the year 1932. It was the year, last year the Chaim was alive. Rabbi Khanan would go every single Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Yom Neroyim. He would stay in Sukkot. He would stay in Radin. He felt he needed to reconnect to the Chavetz Chaim and he would go for Elul. And when the Chavetz Chaim was Zifta, we spoke about it once, he went to Kelm, to Rabbi Daniel. And he would go. It was his last year the Chavetz Chaim was Zifta, 33 in the summer. This was at 32 circus time. And Chavetz Chaim was very old, very frail, very weak. And he expressed an interest that, um, to, to, he, that for, for Hakafis, he would like to have a minion in his house. He doesn't want to go to yeshiva, it's too difficult. So the Bochum told him, what are you talking, we'll carry you there, the chair. So Chavetz Chaim said, like, I put in my God, like, what do you mean carrying in a chair? What kind of, what kind of, I'm not the type of people who carry in a chair. So he walked, so Rabbi Chonin walked over and he said, It's very sad for children if the father doesn't participate with them. 
So Chutz Chaim was nochadaita, and he said, okay. They came to the Yakovis, they brought in Chaim on a chair. Chaim was very old, very thin, it was just, it was, it was, it was bone and skin, thin, wrapped in a coat. And he wasn't, he was sitting in the middle, everybody was dancing around, but he wasn't very responsive. He wasn't looking at any particular. He was, he was looking at himself, he was very into himself, and that was it. Rabbi Hanan was dancing with the Bacham together. Rabbi Hanan had terrible circulation problems in his feet. He could barely, he, 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 had to, he schlepped his feet. He schlepped his feet, and when he was dancing, two Bacham had to hold him and, you know, just make sure that, that, that he doesn't trip and so on. Was, he suffered all his life from a lot of pain, and that was him. And he was dancing with the Bacham together. And all of a sudden, he broke away from the Bacham, and he walked over in front of Chavetz Chaim. And everybody actually stood back, and he stood in front of Chavetz Chaim. And Chavetz Chaim picked up his head, looked at him, and his eyes lit up, and he began clapping. And Rilchon began dancing. And the Chavetz Chaim began clapping more. And the same Rabbi Hanan, whose feet didn't move, and who, was, who, who couldn't move himself, and, and began to dance, the person said, up and down like a feather. And the Bachram began singing and dancing. And he said, it was a machse, Chavetz Chaim's eyes looking out and animatedly clapping. And Rabbi Hanan floating like a feather. To me, it's a dogma of a Moira Godel and a Moira Cotton. The bright light of the Chavetz Chaim that Akarishpoku gave us, Shaloiki Fe'erach HaOdeiris, Chavetz Chaim would say, Akarishpoku sometimes needs at the end of a door to bring something of, that was of many doors ago. And Rabbi Chano was the Moira Cotton, was the one who knew how to translate the Chavetz Chaim's Tzitkis into a model for Bachrin, to learn, to daven, and hug their herits, everything about it, to translate it, to see. Actually, I am Rosa, a Tumus of a Kain Gadol. And actually, I am Rosa, a Bachon and Fazis and Mechakab Cholois. And I saw a person who saw it. And it's so far away from us. It's light years away. The Tmosav, the Chavetz Chaim, the Tmosav Rochanan, and the Tmosav Rochanan dancing, the Chavetz Chaim. But that's the Tmos. Kaddish Baruch gave us, at the end of such a difficult period of time, a Ha'arish Lamal that put down Hanagas Chaim and a Shohar of us. And a person who was able to translate those Hanagas into a viable model that would make a yeshiva bacha, a ben that would be understanding to be. And the person that would make balabatim, balabatim that were receptive to it. That's what happened. If he would have been looking with human das, he would have said, what am I going to America to collect money for a building I'll never build? To for, for marry off a child for children that will never be? raise a generation of Yeshiva Bacham for a world that's destroyed. That's for people who think segment by segment, slide by slide. But there's a long process, and there's a farmer in charge of it. 
And if a person does what's right, if a person does what he should do, then at the end, the bread that was baked was the Chabetz Chaim's and Rabbi Hanan's and the Mr. Snefesh and everything else that went into it.